welcome to the book of Ecclesiastes, that very unusual sounding book. Uh, we are glad that you can be with us. Let me share with you where this study came from. Uh, Pastor Ray had been thinking about uh, the confusion uh, that the coronavirus has created for all of our families. Uh, for the last six months, it's turned our world literally, personal worlds, our state, our country, uh, the world upside down. It's ruined industries, it's really challenged people. Uh, and because there is really no certainty as we look here six months later into the future, uh, that's an unhealthy tension to have to live with. And Pastor Ray was wondering, uh, are we losing sight of some basics for life? Uh, life is hard, but how can we be sure we're staying connected to God the right way? How can we be sure that we are finding the meaning in life and purpose in life the way God would want us to? Uh, so he asked me to consider uh, sharing with you studies in the book of Ecclesiastes because the focus is uh, finding meaning in life. Uh, God wants us to have a life of meaning, a purpose, a value. Uh, he wants us to have a sense of uh, contentment in our life, uh, even when the world seems to be against us. Uh, so let's have prayer and then we'll get started into our study. Uh, we will come to the end of the conclusion, then we'll have some discussion uh, time together, and I hope it'll be a practical study for us in the next 10 weeks. Let's pray first. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use this book to help us to understand how to walk with you during these days. Uh, we realize that there is much that we don't understand that's happening around us. Uh, and so we would ask that somehow you would use this book to help us to be sure that we are living our lives the right way. Father, thank you for being there for us. You are bigger than all of the challenges that come in life. And it's our prayer that through these studies, we can just see life a little more clearly uh, in spite of the challenges that come our way. So please be with us, help those who are listening to think, to interact with you privately in some of these things, and help us as we get started today. And we'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. The book of Ecclesiastes, and we're just opening the door uh, today to help you to get a sense of what this book is all about. Uh, we will look at next week the topic Solomon's pursuit of happiness, his search for meaning. Uh, the next week we will consider the, the topic, how is there any meaning in life when your world falls apart? Yeah, long chapter title, I know, but that's what's in there. In chapter four, following the fourth study, we will see that this man says, in the world there is no order, There's, it's uncertain, it's unreliable, there are so many things that happen that we don't see coming. How can we have meaning in a life that is like that? And we'll go on practical topic like that, one right after the other, and we hope it'll be a good one for you, good study for you. Notice with me in chapter one, verse one, where it says the words of the preacher, some of you have pastor. The word preacher 
is the word from which we get our Ecclesiastes. It's one who calls an assembly to discuss things. And really, that's where the title comes from, how the, the, the author is referring uh, to this writer this way. Uh, but again, the purpose is, how can we find meaning in life? God wants us to find meaning. If we were to have a seminar, or if there was a motivational speaker today who was uh, maybe in Harrisburg or Lancaster, and he was holding a seminar on being successful, finding the meaning in life. I know exactly how they would uh, structure their conference. They would begin, the speaker would begin by saying, every one of you can be successful. Every one of you can have a meaningful life, kind of like a cheerleader, rah, rah, rah. And he would be very positive, very upbeat. And he would try to encourage you to, to see how wonderful things could be then he would list, this is how you become successful. This is how you find a meaningful life. And he will list things that you could do so that you could become successful and have a meaningful, satisfying life. Uh, he would close the conference by saying, this is what your new life is going to be. And again, very positive, very upbeat. We live in a world where presentations are often very artificial. Uh, they try to help people to feel good about themselves, to rely upon themselves. Uh, people are often told that they can do anything <clears throat> if they just put their mind to it or if they believe in it hard enough. Uh, the word believe is something that's overused today. Uh, I heard a motivational speaker say this once, <clears throat> excuse me, if you think it, when you say it, you can have it. <laughs> I'm serious. This is what the person said. If you think it, when you say it, then you can have it. And my first thought was, well, yes, let's see how that works out as time goes along. But any presentation on having a meaningful life would be very upbeat, very positive, very cheerleader type rah, 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 and trying to build people up. And I get that. But Solomon's approach, and I'm taking it that Solomon is the, the one that we're studying here, his approach is entirely different. And you're going to be surprised if you've not really gotten into this book before. He starts life, or this book, entirely different way from what our motivational speakers would do today. He begins by saying there is no meaning in life. There is no purpose to life. It's empty. It's meaningless. And that's how he begins. Kind of unusual, isn't it? Let's notice chapter 1, verse 2. He begins to say, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. There's that word Ecclesiastes again. Vanity of vanities, all is vanities. And I have a slide up here just so that you can follow my thoughts. This is his opening statement, vanity of vanity, all is vanities. He will repeat this throughout the entire book. This is one of the rails on the railroad track I was talking about in our promo. Constantly hardship. It goes throughout the entire book. There are only 12 chapters. This word is mentioned 35 times. That's almost three times each chapter. 
but it's over and over again, vanity of vanities. And he starts that way. And it's a word that means breath or vapor, uh, nothingness. Uh, some of your Bibles have meaningless. They use that as a translation. It's meaningless. But it's referring to chabel is the Hebrew word. It's vapor. It's air. It is nothing. Uh, my daughter has four girls, and her youngest, our little Hannah, uh, when she was about four years old, she was often being helped, if I can say it that way, by her bigger sisters on getting dressed. And they would say, Hannah, put this on. You'll look so nice when this is on. And they would dress her in patterns that didn't match, colors that clashed, they were having fun at little sister's expense. Glad they don't do that anymore. But one day, having dressed her up, uh, our daughter walked, was walking through the house and she noticed that little Hannah was standing in front of the mirror admiring herself. Even to the place where she began to flip her hair and our daughter said, oh no, I've got four girls and I've got one who's a diva. And, and when we think of vanity today, we think about being vain. Uh, it could be a man who at the, uh, uh, the fitness gym, he's working out in front of the mirrors because he wants to see his muscles. He thinks he's really quite something. Or the lady who's in front of the mirror and she's thinking she's quite something. And we get the idea of vanity that way as we use it in our culture. But here it's vapor, it's air, it's nothingness. And as he begins, he piles these words up. In Hebrew, it's called a superlative, where you put the same word side by side, the same word for emphasis. Uh, think about the Jewish temple. The Jewish people revered their temple, and they thought that in the center of the temple, there was this place that was devoted to God, where the priest would come in, they would have sacrifices, they would serve God, people would bring their sacrifices to them. The entire area was called the holy place. But in the middle of that center where the one priest alone went once a year to the very presence of God, that was called the holy of holies. See how they put the words together? Holy of holies, the most holy place on the whole earth. That's what's being done here, putting two words side by side for stress, vanity of vanities. He's talking about emptiness, an emptiness of the worst kind. It's the most awful kind of emptiness for life. And he stresses that, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He's coming out and beginning by saying that this life is miserable. This life is awful. It's a terrible thing to have to endure and to live. And that's how he begins his book. So that's his opening statement. Notice in verse three, because we have a comment. Now just follow with me, please. As we go through these opening verses, we wanna hear what he says, and then we'll stand back and think, okay, now what's all this mean? What's he getting at? What do we do with this? Let's notice just first what he says. Notice verse three, where he makes a comment 
to kind of explain why he's saying this. What profit has a man of all his labor which he takes under the sun? What profit, some of your Bibles, what advantage does a man have from all of his work as he toils under the sun? Uh, these three phrases are used as much as the word vanity, and he's really giving us the building blocks for his book. The word that says profit or advantage is the word for surplus, what's left over. Sometimes it's used as a bonus. The, the next word, labor, extremely exhausting toil. Not just a little bit of work, but this is just almost crippling work. This is completely exhausting. You've heard people talk about being worked to the bone. Well, this would be it. And then under the sun, he will use that phrase a lot. Uh, he's looking at life at everything he can see, and we'll look at that next week, every possible way he's looking at life. And here's what he's saying right up front. Doesn't matter how hard you work, as a result of all your work, life will not give you anything and it will never take you anywhere. <laughs> That's a bummer, isn't it? You're thinking, that doesn't sound like it's gonna help me to find a meaningful life. But that's what he's saying. Life in this world is hard. It'll work you to the bone. And in the end, it'll take you nowhere and it will leave you with nothing. You'll have empty hands and an empty life. Yeah, and that's, that's the way he starts. And if you're not familiar with this book, I'm sure you're scratching your head. And, and that's really what he's telling us. He says everything's meaningless in this world. And he presents this main thought of this awful ache that he has in his life, the meaninglessness of it all, this vapor. And then by pointing to nature, he wants to illustrate what he means thinking that maybe we can see a little bit better what he's talking about as he tries to help us to see from his perspective as he writes that life is really not our friend. Notice what he says in verse 4. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Very obvious that what he sees is true. We've seen it. People live in this world several years, but they pass away. Another generation comes, they, they grow up in this world, they live their lives, they pass away, they return to dust. The book will talk about that. And another generation comes and this cycle goes continually on and on, but the earth is there. The earth remains, but men have such a brief and fleeting life. They're here and they're gone. And in verse 11, nobody even remembers us after we're gone. He was really frustrated with passing away. He is, and we'll talk about that from God's, <clears throat> God's perspective too. But there's something very tragic to him as he looks at this life, and he looks that you have a few earthly years to live, and when you come to the end of it, you're gone, and that's it. And he's sharing with us that, that at the end of life, everything's gone, and he can't seem to see beyond that. And notice it talks about the generation passing away. This cycle is not interrupted. It just goes on and on and on. And then he points to, to nature in three ways to help kind of explain and repeat what he's saying. He talks about the sun. 
The sun also, the same riser, uh, same way arises, the sun goes down and it hastens, it hurries, it exhausts itself to get to the place where he was. Sorry, that is my phone. So he looks at the sun and he said, just, just look at it. It gets up in the morning and it runs, it exhausts itself to get to where it needs to go down. And then when morning comes, it starts the whole thing all over again. It's just kind of like running in circles and never getting anywhere over and over again. He exhausts, it, the sun exhausts itself and just runs and runs and runs. And it's stuck in this meaningless cycle. And he says the same thing about the wind. The wind goes toward the south, turns around and to the north. In verse 6, it whirls around continually and the wind returns again according to its path or its circuits. And you have the, the wind going this way and that way and then it goes around here and there and really it has the wind going around in circles. There are many people who feel that their lives are just like that. Like the sun on the treadmill, they just kind of have to crank it out. There are people who feel like they're really getting nowhere, just like the wind running in circles, exhausting themselves and getting nowhere. And then the monotony of the last illustration, talking about the rivers in verse 7, they run into the sea and yet the sea is not full unto the place from which the rivers came and there they go again. And it, and it talks about the waters that run from the hills through the streams to the rivers to the oceans only to go back to do the same thing all over again. And there's no profit to anything. Nothing ever changes. There's no result from any of this. It's meaningless. That's the stress that he wants to introduce as he opens this book. And he says, after all the work that men do, nobody's any closer to finding peace, rest, or meaning. And by this time you're thinking, man, I gotta get out of this course. <laughs> this is gonna pull me down. Don't run away. Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, knows exactly what he's doing. And God knows exactly why he would begin a book that's devoted to having a meaningful life. Have that book begin this way. God knows what he's doing. So we want to just stay with this a little while longer. But I think you get the idea that the writer is filled with this tension. Uh, this life is meaningful. It's so difficult. It's a life that he concludes that it's not going to take him anywhere and in the end he's not going to have anything and that's about as bad as it gets. And we would understand that. But here, here's the point. And he'll make this clear as we go through the book. Very important that you get this. People, when people seek to build their lives without God, this is the way that they will see their lives. Sooner or later, it will all come down to this. They will see their life the same way the writer sees his. They will feel the same way the writer feels about his life. And the people who have built their lives without God will come to the same conclusion. My life has been meaningless, purposeless, and it's left me with nothing. And that's really one of the first things that we're to pick up as we go through this. 
what he will do is that he will share with us a series of observations. He's taken a good look at life. And everywhere he looks, he sees all of this, this hardship, this wrongness. And it doesn't seem to give any hope that things will ever be any better. And so he's writing from a, from a standpoint of despair, but he's also writing from the, from the standpoint of a person who is trying to build their life without God. And that's so very important. People who seek to build their lives without God will eventually come to the same conclusion that the writer does here. And really, it's an awful place to be at. Wow, so we will try to move on to maybe a more of a practical uh, emphasis. What, what do we do with this? This is an entirely different approach to finding meaning in life. This is not what many of you were thinking, I'm sure. You were thinking there was gonna be a cheerleader type of thing. Yeah, you can be successful, and you can. This is how you do it, very positive. Well. The author is realistic about life. And he knows that we don't live in a seminar. We have to live from day to day. And this world is, again, unpredictable. It's unreliable. It's unfair. It hurts us. It's against us. It changes constantly. And it's hard just to live in this world. How can we live in a world that's so difficult? When we figure that out, we'll have more than enough meaning to our life, and it's very, very practical. Let me go back to uh, the outline. Uh, what are we to do with this? How are we to understand that? I want to revisit the area of vanity, this word chavel, because it is dominant as we go through this book. It's the word again for vapor, for smoke, and for fog. And I put a, a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge up on the PowerPoint. I think you can see it where the fog is beginning to roll in off the bay. Some of you maybe have been there to see that happen, and it's an incredible sight. I can remember seeing it when I was watching one of the World Series games once, when the teams are out in the West Coast, and I saw that fog just roll in, cover the whole field. I've seen it do it for the 49ers and cover up their football games. And people who live in that area tell us that you can actually see this white, beautiful cloud rolling down the street. And you, could, you can just walk right up and grab it. And if you were to do that, and some people do, kids like to play that way, if you do that, you find out there's nothing there. It's beautiful, it looks real, but there's nothing there. It's fog, it's vapor, it's nothingness. And it's telling us, by using this, that there are things in this world that appear beautiful. Uh, they cry out to us, telling us, this will give you meaning, this will give you success, this will make you happy, this will give you everything you've always wanted, this is how you can have the best of all lives. And these, these things that look so real and beautiful and they reach out to us and people live for them, when they get there, they've got nothing. It's chavel. It's just a vapor. And he's using this to remind us that people chase dreams that have no substance. They spend their energies on things that have no lasting value. 
And just like the fog that rolls in, it's just a, a sad, sad thing. Talks about under the sun. He will use that life under the sun. Well, that's kind of a key for us for where, where, where he's coming from. Because what men need to do to find meaning in his life is to look above the sun to God. And he will begin to bring God into the book and begin to share with us in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 6 as he repeats himself clearly and plainly. The best treasures in life are found in the simplest pleasures that we have in our homes. I'll say that again. The greatest treasures in life that will give us meaning are found in the simplest pleasures we have in our daily life right at home. You'll see that clearly next week. But looking above the sun, there is a God who cares for us, knows how to care for us, knows what's happening in this world. And one of the wonderful things that Solomon will do as he writes this book is he will give to us truth that we need to remember how to think about God, how to think about our life when this world comes crashing in on us. So that's, that's again, another way of how to find purpose and meaning and contentment and value. We need to know how to think properly about life. And so as we go through this, I think it'll work out real well. Next week, he will tell us, Solomon will say, this is where I tried to find meaning. This is what I did to find meaning, but that didn't work. The following week, uh, there's no order in life. You can't plan on anything. The world's unstable. It's unreliable. It's unpredictable. It hurts us. What kind of meaning can you have in a, in a world that lives where you live like that? And again, he's seeing things like people who have set God aside and they see only what's under the sun. Um, we would call it secular living. People who have set God aside, they don't want to do anything with God, they don't want to hear about Him, they don't want to think about Him. They live a secular life. That's what this book is about. As Solomon looks at life, he sees what men see when they look at life. Uh, he thinks the way men think when they've set God aside. He listens to them and observes them. This is what they do. This is how they act. This is, these are their conclusions. And this is how life ends for them. Uh, all of these things under the sun refer, that's another reminder, uh, people who are trying to build their lives without God and, and it just won't work. Uh, he comes to a place in chapter 1, verse 13. Notice this with me where he says, I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. I'm going to look at everything. I've looked at everything. Here's my conclusions. But then he makes this statement, this sore travail. Some of your Bibles, this awful heaviness living in this world, this awful heaviness. God has given to the sons of men to be exercised by. And what he's saying in this verse is that the world is a rough place to live. It's exhausting. It's hard. It's not fair. And God did this to us. God put this burden on our lives. Now, again, Solomon knows what he's doing. When people have set God aside and their lives, they don't work out. 
when life gets hard, when they think about God, they usually have harsh views about God. Well, if God was really good, he wouldn't let this happen to me. Or if God was really that kind, he would have known that this is just too much for me. And, and people begin to have harsh views of God. Solomon knows who he's writing to, where people are stuck at in life, and some of their initial thoughts of God. But later as we go through, we'll see that, yeah, God is in control of things in this world, and he understands how hardness sometimes affects us. But the real reason that God allows hardness to take place in our life is so that we will realize that we can't do it on our own and say, God, would you just help me? And then when God steps in to help us to reveal himself and our lives settle down, we've learned a lot more than we thought we were just because we turned to him. So again, he knows what he's doing and it's a wonderful book in that way I'm going to ask you to think with me about these questions. I think you will agree with me that if we stand back, just taking these opening verses and stand back and ask, okay, now what's this teaching us? Uh, what are we to learn about this? I think one of the things that we learn right off the bat is that life is very fragile. Life can easily be hurt. I think we see that and we understand as Christians, we understand that sin has done a lot of damage in this world. We get that. When we listen to the writer express his thoughts and see life in a very miserable way, we understand that when people grow up without God and they begin to build their lives without God, they have not learned to think properly. They just haven't. And that's why they go in these circles all the time. They just haven't. They don't understand what to do with life and they're out there grasping for straws and finding out that what they think was going to bring them hope and stability is, is fog. There's just nothing there. So we can learn this is the way that unsaved people struggle with life or people who are born again, they know the Lord is their Savior, but they've gotten lazy, they've gotten careless, and they've walked away or they've kind of drifted away, and they've come to the place where they're trying to build their lives on their own too. Same thing is going to happen to them. They're going to find the same kind of emptiness. But let me ask this question for our discussion. Why does this world have such a hard time finding meaning? I think that'd be a good thing for us to discuss and to think about. Uh, why is it that the world has such a hard time being happy? We spend a lot of time there, couldn't we? This emptiness, this meaninglessness. The next question, do you have a meaningful life? Um, do you feel like you're the wind running in circles or like the sun, you're on the treadmill, but you're not going anywhere? Are you running on empty? Well, step back. How are you using your life? What are you doing to feed yourself spiritually to remind yourself that there is a God that loves you, you can trust him? He's really, he really wants to care for you. How are you filling up your energy tank, your emotional needs? I think that's something that we need to look at. And the last question we can talk about, how does, what does a meaningful life look like? 
I mean, if you were to change your life and make it more meaningful, what are the things that you think you would want to bring in so that your life could be more meaningful? What would you have to add? Uh, what would you want that you don't have now? And then stand back and analyze your choices. Are you thinking properly about life and meaning of life? Okay, we've come to the end of our first lesson and I really do trust that you will believe that God knows what he's doing, even giving us this book. It seems to be all mixed up for us, but make no mistake about it. Life will never be empty for those who know God and walk with him. It'll never be empty. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life they might have it more abundantly. The Apostle Paul says, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. You remember when God was leading the people of Israel to the promised land, he said it would be a land of milk and honey, abundance and good, and it would be wonderful. A picture of the life that God wants to give to his people today. And the 23rd Psalm, we know it so well. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God has goodness and care for every day that we are here. And he wants us to know that. And it is a lie to think that life can have no meaning. It's a lie to think that life is not going anywhere. It will leave you with nothing. Those are lies. And as we go through the end of the book, if you'll stay with me, you'll see, even though it's a different approach to this subject, you'll see he's right. If you're close to God, you know you belong to Him, you'll be just fine. We'll look a little closer into this next week. Thanks for being with us. Study for number one. Please come back. Give me a chance for number two.